Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, sitting across from me at his keyboard, going through all kinds of, of – there's no telling what he's looking at over there, uh, probably housing prices. Uh, our own Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Yes, this is a seller's market right now. Kevin. <laughs> That's Evan. And joining us on the phone line t- today is the one and only John Machota, one of our favorites. You're, you're certainly in the top four of people who cover the Cowboys for us. There's no question about it. Hey, I, I appreciate that. There were definitely moments when Jerry was saying that about Jason Witten at that press conference where I was like, I mean, can you just lie and say, or just say he's one of your tops, or he's among the top? Like, they literally break it down to five. It's like, well, who's the other four, Jerry? That's right. That's that's what it always begs that question, right? When someone says that kind of thing, you know, who are the other four? You know, because because here's the thing: there's no telling who it might have been. It might have been Al Davis. You know, might have been one of the five. I mean, and then that. You think Roger Goodell's in there? No, I don't think so. But then that colors the whole perception of that, right? If we, if uh, if you don't like the other four, I mean, then you go, oh my gosh, I don't know, that was really a compliment. So, I think you're right. That was a great. You should have followed up with that question, John. No, I mean, I, I don't even know if he was able to hear my question with how far with the backwards sitting. You know, <laughs> you know, that was really a bad scene for for uh, for media, wasn't Set it? Set up the scene, please. Well, in this scene, we had like 400 <laughs> chairs in there in this uh, in this room at the Star, and it's this humongous. It's not really even a room. It's kind of like a uh, uh, you know a, a huge hallway. And and we're all sitting, and they told and they told us that was one of the things that Scott told us, right? Was that make sure you sit in the back. Uh, yeah, there was. There, they had like markers. I they had like um, pieces of paper that said, you know, guests or and then media. Uh, it was like their their training table. It's their, basically their their cafeteria. Yes. Uh, at the new facility. Yes. Yeah, and that and that was where we. So we were sitting in the back of that room. And so they they made you sit in the back. Uh huh. They said sit in the back. Well, they had you know players and family and friends mm-hmm. all sitting in front of us and Cowboys personnel and it because because but the deal is it is a news conference. I'm not saying those people uh, you know shouldn't be in the room. Although that has become more and more something I think is a a little bit of a a gentle coercion not to ask really difficult questions. Not that anybody was going to you know rip anybody at, at Jason Witten's farewell press conference. But you've got all these other people in there. And then when we, when we finally got to ask questions, I bet there weren't more than about six or eight that got asked. Would you, John? Yeah, that's about right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting scene uh, that we had there uh, with, with Jason Witten uh, saying his goodbyes. Um, let me ask you this, John, because we didn't really talk about this uh, last week when David Moore was on, one of our other favorite uh, Cowboys beat writers. Um, and he did, uh, uh, and I wanted to ask you though, were you surprised that he went ahead and did this? A little bit, just because it's not like I have to go back to, you know, January in their last game and, and go to when he said then, that he's ready to come back for another, you know, for year 16. Um, I can go back to the, literally a week before we were just out there for, uh, a pre-draft event that was at the star and you know he was asked again about it and, and specifically it was brought up about you know the reports that had come out that he had auditioned for fox and for espn and, and he shot them down too and said that you know he wants to play and, and, and hopefully he can play until he's 40 you know and he just turned 36 this weekend so you're thinking yeah you know i mean i don't really believe him 40 but i thought i thought there was one year left in him and i bet you that's what he thought too 
But then this offer came, and he not only was financially at a great offer, but also the opportunity that, hey, this might not come along. I might not get offered this job ever again. And, it, you know, kind of a perfect storm with John Gruden going to the Raiders because, really, if John Gruden just stays in the booth, I, I don't think that, you know, being another guy on Fox or, or, or CBS is, is going to be enough to get him to walk away. I mean, 16 seasons with the Cowboys, that would have been the record. I mean, he's tied for the record with 15, but that would have been the record. And I, and I really do think he cares about stuff like that. And I really do think that guys like the younger guys like Dak and Zeke, you know, re-energized him uh, the past couple of seasons. But uh, at, in the end, you know, I think being able to leave in good health, the money that was on the table, and just a job opportunity that – you know, he might never get again or ultimately, you know, what did it for him. I watched him walk into the hallway um, with that completely spontaneous greeting that he got with uh, how all the Cowboys employees and teammates lined up. I know that was spontaneous. And yeah, well, they're just having all hey, it literally. They were all on their way to the, the bathroom. Same thing. Um, <laughs> they did that same deal for Jerry when he got in the Hall of Fame, except they did it outside. And so he landed his helicopter outside, and then they had all the all the people that worked there were lined up on one of the practice fields. So when he walked he walked down towards the facility, um, then he walked in the middle of everybody. So it was similar to that, except it was just outside that one. Well, I, I listen. I joking about that. I think it was a nice, a really nice touch and well deserved for a guy who, by all accounts. Um, was the consummate pro, consummate teammate, and, and all of that. But but my point was, uh, whether he had the timing, whether he had another year in him or anything, I watched him walk in with his wife and, and four kids, right? He's got a, a fairly newborn, is that correct? Yes, yes. Four kids. And and I just sat there and I, I thought, okay, here's a guy who's leaving this game uh, and, and you guys mentioned health and he's got the ability to go and not only do this, this job on ESPN, but he's got an ability to, to live his life here. And there's a lot of guys that leave the NFL that really don't have quality of life. So if, if Jason Witten is able to walk away, uh, at this point in time, uh, I, I, there's, there was nothing, Nothing left for him to to give or prove. I don't think. I I think that there 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 can be no criticism of of anybody really deciding to walk away from the NFL when 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 they, whenever they do. No, absolutely not. I mean, look as John pointed out, he played for fifteen seasons. He gave it everything he had. He was, you know, uh, if anything, you know, uh, I thought it was very, and that was what I wrote about was that uh, when he said that Jerry, I, my, the hardest part of this decision is that um, I won't be able to hand you the Lombardi Trophy. He says, "I hope you, I hope you think that I lived up to my end of the bargain," and which of course he did. You know, Jerry didn't live up to his end of the bargain, but mm-hmm. but but Jason lived up to his and. Uh, so, you know, uh, how could you possibly uh, criticize a guy for, for getting out? and no, Not after get... watching Ryan Shazer walk up to the stand and make the draft pick for the, for yeah, the Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a, ago, it's you know? a dangerous job, and, and uh, guys are putting their lives online. And not only that, who knows, you know, God bless him. I hope everything's good with Jason, and I hope that he's healthy. But, uh, but you know, who knows what, what's coming for him. Right. For, for all players, for all pro athletes, but especially for football players, you know, what's, what's coming down the line for these guys. So I think, you know, John, the one thing that I want to ask you about that, that uh, struck me about all this was that I know this was probably a struggle for him to make this decision, 
even though, you know, he, he may have had that offer on the table. I just wonder if that offer was on the table all along about Monday night football and that you're in the – because, you know, it, it, I would assume that they didn't just at the last minute say, okay, okay, you, you'll replace John Gruden. You know, wh- what, do you think, what do you think finally swung him in the end? Well, I think one of the big things is that he knows he was nearing the end. You know, I mean, he was – He's on a deal that was basically almost a year-to-year type thing, so it wasn't like I mean he's he's in those dirk years, you know, where it's like right. this could be the end at any moment. <clears throat> the part that really was interesting to me, looking back on it now, was I think it was late November, early December, somewhere in there. I can't remember exactly what it was. I want to say it was Fox floated out this report of like putting his name out there for the Tennessee job, and I was just kind of like. This makes no sense. This is so stupid. Now we got to go ask him about this. this I mean, this is never going to happen. And so we're sitting at that press conference the other day, and, and about three rows ahead of us, Kevin, was Jimmy Sexton, right. Jason Witten's agent, who, for all intents and purposes, runs college football. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as a Florida State fan, this guy literally was on campus telling them Jimbo was out, and later on in the day on campus setting them up with Willie Taggart, their next head coach. Okay, so that all got me thinking – too, that I'm like, well, maybe, maybe he, I don't think he was going to take, had any serious consideration about the Tennessee job, but it made me think now, looking back on it, hey, maybe he was already getting himself ready, which is a smart move for life after football, and he was setting himself up that, hey, maybe this is my next season, this next season coming up will be my last one, and then I'll step out, you know, maybe I'll give it one more try to win a Super Bowl, if it doesn't happen, then I'll step away from the game, and then I'll move on to maybe be in the TV booth like, like Tony is. And I think everything, when, when Gruden ended up you know, going back into the NFL, I think it just opened up a door that it was like, like I said, that it's something that, hey, I didn't think this was going to come along. You know, I was ready to take something in another year, maybe two. But you know what? Maybe now is just the best time, and, and, and i got to take this opportunity. I might never get again. All right. I want to ask you something. You brought up the Florida State stuff, and, and uh, maybe our uh, listeners don't know that John is a huge Florida State fan. I think your avatar is always you and some Florida State player, you know, that you have been, you know, chumming up with, that kind of thing. Uh, well, not when it was him and Denzel Washington. Was it? Is that what, is that what one of them was? Yeah, one of them was. What is John? <laughs> It's Denzel Washington on Twitter, but it is uh, Jalen Ramsey on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I think before that, I think Jameis. Nobody paints it. Nobody reads Facebook anymore except Russian bots. Well, I think it was Jameis Winston <laughs> at one point, wasn't it? Wasn't Jameis Winston in there sometime? He was in there at one time, and then yeah. uh, it just got to a point where I'm just going to go with somebody that I don't have to worry about off the field every <laughs> morning waking up and going. Was the, know, the, this is an embarrassment that like maybe the, I shouldn't be in a picture with this guy. Uh, so I just decided to put that one to the side for a while. The yeah. picture wasn't the picture was not you and Jalen and and uh, what's his name, Jameis Wilson, James Winston. <laughs> Try that, oh. Jameis Winston, former Ranger draft pick. Uh, it was not the two of you guys sharing any crab legs or anything, was it? No, 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 no. It was before a it was before a Florida State game where he happened to be on the sidelines, and a friend of mine got me. Uh, a sideline pregame sideline pass, so I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. This, but no, no crab is, legs. I'm not. I don't eat any seafood, Evan. This is John on the sidelines. He's on the sidelines in an FSU hat. Where is this from the Cotton Bowl? Oh, he's like he's like running out on the field. No, this is at it's the just, Camping it's World. Unbelievable. Bowl. Where what, was this picture? What's that? Where is this current Facebook picture from? It's from. Uh, I think it was. Two or three years ago, whatever. Yeah, three years ago, they said they opened up the season against Ole Miss. It was in uh, in Tampa. 
Yeah, that was the, that was the game where John was taunting the Ole Miss fans, uh, right? And they were throwing stuff on the field. And Why then, are you such a Florida State fan? Um, just growing up in Michigan, I always thought you know the Big Ten style of football was just extremely boring, and so uh, this is one thing you, you and know, I Florida can agree State on. One of those teams where like nowadays, like every team can get on TV. Like you can't sell that to recruits anymore. But like Florida State was this team that would like still be on in Michigan all the time, and their offense with Charlie Ward and what Bobby Bowden was doing was just so night and day. And the way I like kind of compare it to to people like of today is that. I know that their run didn't last that long, but I can see a lot of kids jumping on the Oregon bandwagon if they're younger and they don't care about the team, like in their state, because it's something different and it kind of, you know, it's, you know, kind of the new shiny thing type deal. Whereas, like, I didn't really, I didn't hold, I knew I was never going to go to Michigan. I was never going to go to Michigan State. So I never really felt like this big time, like, rooting interest for either of those schools. And then as I've gotten older, it just kind of been my thing. And then covering the NFL, like, Saturdays are like the only days we really get off. So it really just, you know, continued to grow. And now I'm sad. I'm obsessed with it. So it's a hobby. Yeah, it's an obsession. All right. So speaking of your obsession, so I'm watching the draft there out at uh, Jerry World. And uh, and there and there's there's Derwin James, uh, everybody's favorite safety in the draft. And he is falling, falling, falling through that draft. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is playing right into the Cowboys' hands. They couldn't have asked for a better thing to happen. And I'm wondering what's going through – What's going through John Machota's mind when all this is happening? Well, when he fell, when he was around 15, and they weren't making a move then, because unlike most teams, you know, the Cowboys have a war room cam up on their, on, their, on their website there, you know, where it shows inside the draft room, and you didn't see, even though it is like probably 15, 20 seconds behind, like you didn't see really any movement or any urgency, and we've definitely seen that in years past where just Steven or Will McClay are on the phone, like, you know, makes it seem like something's happening. I remember that vividly from 2014 you know when they came on the clock and you know you guys just mentioned ryan shazier earlier that's the guy they thought they had lined up they're ready to take him and all of a sudden he goes to steelers one pick before and now they're scrambling and then that's when you saw him on the phone they're you know trying to look to see if anybody wanted to trade up and then ultimately they didn't get anything they liked so they took zach martin ends up being one of the greatest draft picks that jerry jones will probably ever make um but there was nothing going on and then to find out after that they probably weren't even going to take him if he was still there. They were going to still take Leighton Vandresh over him. So it's like this whole thing probably worked out even better for the Cowboys because there probably won't be a lot of people that look back and, and compare, like, oh, we could have had Derwin James because you still would have had to trade up for him. But if they would have taken Leighton Vandresh over Derwin James, I just think there's a good chance that it would be one of those things where you're looking back on four or five, six years from now and you're just like, God, that was a terrible decision. But, see, I, I'm wondering if, if fans might still do that because they know you, you could have traded up for him. At that point, uh, it wouldn't have cost you that much. It would have cost you, what, a fourth-round pick to trade up two spots? Maybe uh, a third, yeah. Yeah. So so you're not asking for very much. And, and, I, and I do think that fans will look at this and, and wonder a little bit because uh, uh, you, you, the Cowboys need a safety. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, there's a lot of speculation as to whether they're still interested in trying to pursue Earl Thomas. And, uh, and without question, Derwin James was the best safety on the board. And he's a little raw, uh, but he's got a lot of uh, physical talent. And so people felt like that this was a guy that uh, would just line up perfectly with their needs. And he's falling right into their laps practically. And, and to trade up two spots wouldn't be that big a deal. So I do think that uh, fans will look at this, even though he was not available when the Cowboys drafted. I think fans will say, 
If Leighton Vander Esch ends up being a bust, which I don't, I don't think he will. Not, you know, there's no reason to think that he would be. Uh, but if uh, if Derwin James goes on to be one of the top safeties in the NFL, I think uh, you know that fans will will look at it that way. Uh, especially when it was such a need, you know, uh, you, you would look at the, what was, was Landon Collins still on the board when the Cowboys drafted and took Byron Jones. Yeah, they, he was, he, he didn't end up going until he went early in the second round, but he was still there. I, I, I'm going to just add something real quick though. I, I do think what's interesting about this is it's not like the Cowboys are the only team that had a chance to get up and get him. Right. And, and, and the Cowboys aren't one of the teams that passed on him. I mean, I thought he'd be top 10 lock. So clear, clearly there's more to it. And there's a lot of other teams that feel the same way as the Cowboys, apparently. The other thing is, too, is that there's some really good, talented free agent safeties that are still out there. And for what you just see looking at the whole picture of everything, the biggest thing I've come away with over the last two or three months is that I value a good safety much more than apparently a lot of teams in the NFL do. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Yeah, that's what you always said about when the Cowboys took Roy Williams, which I believe Roy was, he was a top 10 pick. I'm trying to remember if he was a five. I think he was the fifth pick, which was really high. Was Roy Williams, the safety? Yeah. yeah I he, thought he was the sixth pick. Well, right. It's somewhere in the top ten. Look that up, Evan. Uh, but any, at any rate, it was high for a safety. But then Roy came out and was, you know, uh, as as uh, as Rick Goslin told me once. I can report now that he was the eighth pick overall. The eighth pick overall, okay. Um, uh, is that if you think he's going to be a Pro Bowl player, then you take him. It doesn't really. It doesn't really matter. But the position, you know, I guess it does matter. You're not going to draft a punter or a kicker that high. But um, but it, at any rate, and Roy was that. You know, for a while there, he was the last of the great box safeties. You know, and uh, before the NFL changed and it, and it kind of uh, it moved past Roy. Um, so yeah, I, I get it to the same thing with safety. I just think that a guy, if he's a game changer, like, like, well, we, I just brought up Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is a game changer. You know, when he was coming out of Texas, I thought, boy, this guy is really good. He was such a good player at Texas. So smart and instinctive. And, uh, and, and he made a difference up there. He's the leader of that defense. They, they got a lot of great players on that defense and they've had a lot of great players on that defense, but Earl Thomas is the guy who holds that all together. So, you but know, even, even him, he's a guy that. He fell out of the top ten too, and he's the oh, guy absolutely. to look back on. And, and just it makes me, it, it makes me, it, it's hard for me to believe that as talented as he was at Texas and what he was going to bring the NFL, that if, if he was a left tackle or a defensive end and certainly a quarterback and probably even a running back and maybe even a wide receiver, a lot of other positions, corner, he probably goes top ten. But there's just something about safety that, and it, and it surprises me most just because we're in a league now that's more pass heavy than ever, and you need guys that are can play multiple positions on the back end. All these teams are in nickel and dime defense all the time. For me, I would think like you'd want a big-time safety out there, but it just appears that, yeah, teams want a big-time safety, but not as much as they want some of these other positions. No, you're right. I think I think there's a little, still a little bit of the old prejudice that a safety is just a washed-up cornerback, you know? Uh, you know some, that, that used to happen in the NFL all the time. Once a guy lost his speed a little bit, you know, if he was still a good player, they they move him back to safety. Uh, so I don't know how much of it is that because I'm with you. The, the position has changed so much, but all the positions in the NFL have changed on defense. You know, you got some, you know, because of the the, the proliferation of passing in the NFL now. Everybody's got the what? proliferation of passing. The proliferation. Proliferation. Okay, thank yeah, you. I said that. Thank you. I did. I had a little trouble with it, but I did say it. Uh, is that, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what everybody likes about Van Der Esch, right? He's a guy that can drop into coverage, and that's supposed to be one of his strong points? That's one of the first things that was talked about after they picked him was that 
the ability that he'll that he has that he can probably come in right away and be a guy that can turn and move upfield and, and defend these running backs and, and slot receivers coming out of the backfields and tight ends and things like that. It's really what he can do running wise for a guy that's you know six five two fifty um, that not many people can do at that size and, and, you know and I mean obviously the NFL wasn't always like that you were looking for your you know Brian Erlacher that could you know make plays around the ball and. Uh, you know, be near the line of scrimmage. But, no, Vander Esch, the number one thing that they that they talked about is what he can do in terms of defending the pass. And that's really not what Jalen Smith uh, was doing last year. And, and, and you know, I know that Jalen is still trying to recover uh, from his uh, issues with his knee, which has been a uh, kind of a miraculous recovery uh, to begin with, to get it far back as he has. But if you looked at and you watched him uh, dropping into coverage, it seemed to me that was his his biggest issue was was that. Yeah, no question about it. That's where I think that they both could fit together early on is the fact that uh, you know you lose Anthony Hitchens and Hitchens and Jalen Smith when they were played at their best, especially Jalen last year. It's when he was splitting time when he was asked to play the entire game. It, it wasn't great, and so I think right off the bat, you know, you start you go into training camp where. You know, if you're in your, you know, traditional 4-3, I think that maybe Jalen Smith plays middle linebacker and, and Leighton Vanderesh is on the strong side. But then once you get into your nickel package and, you you know, you just have your two linebackers out there, I think that's when Jalen Smith comes off the field and you have Vanderesh and in, in, in Sean Lee. So um, I think that they can work together right away. Um, but I think it's going to depend on what package they have out there because it seems like their strengths kind of offset and maybe – you know, together as as a group, make them better than just what they are individually at the moment. I do, I do think Leighton Vanderesh can be a good player as they go. I just think right now he's probably a little raw coming into the NFL. Just one year as a starter in college. So uh, yeah, I was going to let Evan ask a question, but he was just sitting there. I I was opening my mouth, but I was going to segue into something else. But go go ahead, oh, Kevin. Oh, segue! It's your show. <laughs> it is your. Your show for crying out loud. <laughs> Segway all you want, Evan. All right, since since Evan is just sitting this one out, I'm going to go ahead and ask John who was your who was your favorite draft pick in, uh, by the Cowboys. It's Connor Williams. I just didn't think that there was any way that he would fall to 50, and uh, you know, I just did not rule out. I, there was just if the right offensive lineman was there. At 19, as much as they need help on defense, I wasn't going to rule that guy out for the Cowboys there because they really, I knew going into the draft that, you know, what happened in Atlanta and a couple of these other games were going to be a major point of emphasis when they didn't have Tyron Smith and, you know, when they had to put Chaz Green in there and Byron Bell, it just, it was a significant drop off. So just from seeing what they've done in the draft in the past, I was like, I can see them going offensive linemen early. So they take Leighton Vander Esch and I'm thinking, you know what, they'll probably come back and, and, and try and get a safety in the second round or, or maybe the wide receiver. And then a couple of guys come off the board, and I'm just like, huh, I wonder where they'll go here. Connor Williams is still there, but I'm thinking, man, I don't think he'll make it to 50. And when he did, I was just kind of like, man, like I really didn't absolutely love Leighton Van- the Leighton Van Der Esch pick at where he was at. But if you told me that they get Leighton Van Der Esch and Connor Williams with their first two picks, it like I went from giving them like a B- minus to probably like an A-, minus, you know, on, on those first two picks. So Connor Williams, I think, steps in right away and starts at left guard. And then he also... He has the ability that he, I mean, he hasn't even played guard before, but I think the transition will be relatively smooth considering you put him right between Travis Frederick and Tyron Smith, two perennial pro bowlers. But he, he's played tackle all his life, so he has that ability too to where you really, like I, I did a 53-man roster projection yesterday, and 
Yeah, because you're I really nuts. can see them keeping only eight offensive linemen because they have so many guys that have so much position flex that if everybody's healthy, they might not have to go nine or ten offensive linemen like they've gone in the past. So I love that pick. And in the third round, Michael Gallup I thought was great. And I love Bo Scarborough in the seventh. But uh, but really just the number one guy for me was just being able to get Connor Williams at 50. I, I, I did have a question. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um after Kevin's long tribute to Jason Witten, um, I, I want in in rehashing the draft again. I wanted to get back to the tight end situation. Uh, what is it with the Cowboys? <laughs> oh, it's 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 an interesting situation. Uh, you know, I mean, Jason Witten never really came off the field, so I know. So he never I mean, really got a chance to. You know, if Barry was here, he'd be talking about his boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, Gavin Escobar. Gavin Escobar. Yeah. Well, you know that was the that's what remember Marty B. You know he was not happy with Jason. You know when when he right. was here and he he felt like that it was a conspiracy against him. All right. Know? So what, where do we go from here? There. Uh, 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 what's your name, Machota? John. <laughs> so, Listen, I want to apologize first of all for for Evan Grant, John. Go ahead. No, that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> what ended up happening was that. They um, uh, uh, they just never got a chance to develop anybody behind Witten, and and I kind of felt all along that Tony Romo and and uh, and Witten, their replacements would come after that they retired, and they would draft them following that. And I really felt that way even in 2016 before Dak got to start. I really felt like he was a developmental guy that maybe in three or four years could play, but then he ended up working out right away. So, you know, obviously they'd love for Dalton Schultz to come in and be – the next heir apparent, but you know, banking on that is, it seems that seems like kind of a reach. So they're, they're kind of just stuck with where they're going to be kind of a tight end by committee group where, you know, they're going to play a, a bunch of different guys in different situations. And they're just not going to have that guy that, yeah, this is our guy. We're going to leave him out there on the field and he's going to play every snap like Witten. And, and then I think if you kind of find out what you have in the next year's draft, tight end is, is one of your top priorities. So do they have in, in your mind, do they have a, legitimate pass-catching tight end on the roster? I really don't think so at the time. I mean, not anybody that is, uh, you know, on the level that some of these good pass-catching tight ends are across the league. Uh, Rico Gathers is their best pass-catcher. Just Rico Gathers is the guy that uh, there are just other areas of his game that just have to get better. Right. He's just not on that on that level uh, as a blocker and, and, and just, you know, knowing the entire offense. And that's, you know, he had that. And then also because of the injury, he had a, a combination of a concussion, but it was also kind of a neck and jaw issue last year that he suffered at the end of training camp, which, and he was having a really strong preseason, and then that put him out and kind of put him, you know, behind, and they never ended up going back to him again. But he's the one all the fans want because they've seen him in these preseason games make some big time catches, especially in the red zone, and you think that that'd be a weapon that they could utilize right away. But for me, you know, all you have to do is listen to anybody in the Cowboys organization and just ask them an open-end question about the tight end position. And when they start running down the names of who they have at tight end, everybody I've talked to, Rico Gathers always comes last. So, I mean, that, that to me speaks more than, than anything else. You know, I'm looking at a headline here that was written in the Dallas Morning News, or more particularly sportsdaydfw.com. Um, and, and it was written by Kevin Sherrington because uh, I noticed I notice bylines. And... Um, this was about why the potential loss of Jason Witten will hurt Jason Garrett more than anyone. Would you care to explain? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you. 
Yeah, they go, well, I don't want to go back to all that, but it, it, it's no. But I mean, it, it, I, I, this is his guy. This is this is everything when he talks about the right kind of guy. Jason Witten is the not right just kind of guy. guy. I mean, I, I think the tight end has been an integral part of their offensive attack. Uh, it is, but but here's the thing. Now, and this is what you know John's been saying is that Rico Gaddis can't block, right? You know, and so uh, that this is what their identity is. They're they are a running football team. You you're not going to put that's that's why the the, the draft of uh, Gavin Escobar was such a stupid pick. You know, first of all, he's a second round pick. I don't. I think at the time, I don't think anybody had him as a second round value. And uh, and secondly, the guy was not a blocker. You know, he was a pass catcher. That's what he was supposed to do. So you know, I I think they certainly learned their lesson with Escobar that they were never going to do that again. Which brings me to the question of because uh, we're talking about not trading up and things that happen in front of you. Well, in the third round, Dallas Goddard was still there. The a lot of people considered the best tight end in this draft, and the Eagles trade up in front of the Cowboys and take him. So John. Uh, if they, we're talking about Dallas Goddard, uh, Goddard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in the and that was in the third round. So John, would the Cowboys and I, I believe they have said they would they would not have taken him. But do you believe that if if he had been available, if the Eagles had not traded up and taken him, do you think that, that they would have still passed on Dallas Goddard in the third? I, I do. I mean, I know from you know talk, I talked to him briefly at the combine, and he said he had met with Doug Nussmeyer, their new tight ends coach but there wasn't like any really serious interest there and I'm sure that that changed you know obviously after the first round of the draft and you know they started getting wind that you know this Witten retirement could be real um, but I don't think that they were going to dramatically alter their board for that and you know we sit here and we talk about the safety position and we look at it and we go you know Xavier Woods gave on Frazier Jeff Heath that's what you're going to go into the season with like you're not going to try and upgrade that and they speak so highly of that group and it's it's similar with the tight end position where they just, they, they seem to like what they have on, on the roster a lot more than, you know, we do. And I, I know that they're not going to sit there and say, oh yeah, we're terrible at tight end. I mean, I don't know. We're just going to make it through this year and see what we can do. But it just like, I'll give you a good example. Blake Jarwin. It's a guy that every time Stephen Jones gets a chance to talk about the tight end position, he raves about Blake Jarwin. He was a guy that he really, he didn't get a chance. To, he was on the practice squad most of the season last year as an undrafted you know, rookie free agent at Oklahoma State. And not until the Eagles tried to make a move to sign him did they then move him up and, and make him active you know, because they couldn't leave him on the practice squad any longer. So then all of a sudden he started to play, and he came in as more of a receiving tight end. He has a wide receiver background. And then they liked what he did as a blocker. And now I just I really think that even though you know we haven't asked this specifically yet, and I, I plan to eventually, but it's just – do you value Blake Jarwin as somebody that probably would have been uh, somebody drafted if you would have known, you know, what he could end up being? And I guarantee you they're going to say that he would have, and he's a guy that they plan on investing with. And so I don't think that they were going to just reach for somebody that maybe they weren't in love with in, in Dallas Goddard. And I know that the Eagles did that to them the year before and drafted a running back right before the Cowboys picked in the fourth, you know, to kind of take a pick from him. But I've never gotten the feel that, just because this Witten news came out that they all of a sudden they were just going to react to it and with their very next pick just take a, a, a tight end. Uh, I just I, I didn't see that happen. I thought that there were other areas on the team that they had as higher needs. And, again, like what they think and what people on the outside think is way different. Every single mock draft going in had t- defensive tackle as one of their top needs, if not the top need. I, I mean, I felt like 60%, 70% of the mock drafts I read had them taking a defensive tackle at 19. Yeah. And they didn't take any. Right. So, uh, they 
just have they have a different view on their team, and I don't think that they think that the hole at tight end is nearly as big as we do. Yeah, you know, I think the thing about uh, uh, it's, this is a little bit like the Des Bryant situation. Um, look, I, I'm not minimizing in any form or fashion the loss of Jason Witten on this team because of who he was and what he brought to the table. There were a lot of things, a lot of intangibles there, and he's still very effective tight end. He's still a really good blocker. Uh, and still really catches the ball well. Not much on yards after catch. Uh, and and I, I think what you see here is that uh, when 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 all this, the talk about what the loss of Des Bryant would mean to this team, what the loss of Jason Witten would mean to this team, um, it, it seems to me it's a little bit to talk about the Des Bryant of four years ago, the, the, the Jason Witten of four or five years ago, uh, these guys were clearly, to me, on on the decline, and uh, and replacing their numbers is not as difficult as it might seem uh, now. The numbers they were going to put up uh, at this point in their careers. So I, I do think that the, the difference between losing Jason and losing Dez is all the intangibles that that uh, Jason brings to the table. I mean, that's just unbelievable what he is and who he is and all that, and that's a great thing to have on your team. Um, but as far as replacing uh, what he does on the field, I don't think it's going to be quite as difficult. Uh, and I, and I, now, I do think that the what will be interesting is how Des Bryant, I mean, uh, how Dak Prescott uh, reacts to all these new options on the field. All of a sudden, it's a, it's a brand-new receiving core for him. So, um, obviously, he didn't make much of a connection with Dez, uh, and he, he did with, with Jason, and he did with Cole Beasley, uh, and to a certain extent with Terrence Williams as well. But it'll be interesting to me to see how he adjusts to all these new guys uh, and see, and see who, who ends up winning this deal. And I think one of the things that was interesting to me was, uh, and I think Stevens talked about this a little bit, was that um, you know maybe maybe what uh, Dak is is a guy who just wants to throw the ball to the open guy. You know he's not he's not thinking I've got you know Des Bryant is my number one receiver, so therefore I have to throw it to him. Uh, I, I think that it, it fits Dak's you know thinking a little bit more. Hey, I, I'm just looking for the open guy. Yeah, and that's how he was at Mississippi State. He, I mean, his four years is at Mississippi State, even though the first year was more of just he really – it was half the season he played as opposed to the final three years when he was starting the whole time. But he always had a different number one receiver, and that's, that was always his strength in college is that he would get a lot of different guys involved, and you wouldn't know who that one key guy is that, that he would go to. And, and even if you go back to 2016 when the running game was working, everything was going well, you know, Des missed those three games with that knee injury, and they won all three. And, his, I mean, he had Jason Witten, Cole Beasley, and Terrence Williams were his top three receivers. And so, I mean, that's when he's been at his best. And really, when he started to throw all these interceptions this past season, a lot of it has come because, you know, they're trying to force the ball to certain people, and obviously Des Bryant was one of them. And I don't think that that's his strength. But, in, in, and I agree with what you're saying, that, you know, that Witten and, and Des, they aren't what they used to be. The, the problem, though, that I have in, in thinking that they're just going to move past it without, without any problems is that, okay, they didn't draft a Dallas Goddard right away, and they didn't sign Sammy Watkins. So you're basically replacing these two guys with Jordan, I mean, with Dalton Schultz and with Alan Hearns, who they could be solid, but if you told me they were going in with, with Goddard and, and Sammy Watkins, I think it'd be a, a lot easier of a transition. There's going to be 
you know, there's going to just be some, some drop-off there. Now, the uncertainty, that's obviously going to help them because teams aren't going to know. I mean, for the last almost decade, you knew, okay, Dez is going to be on the field. If we do this, this is probably what he's going to do. Witten's going to be on the field the entire game. When we do this, this is what he's usually going to do. You're not going to know that, and that's going to definitely benefit them early on. But still, at the end of the day, it comes down to the same thing it did before, and that's the running game. And if, and if Zeke and that running game isn't working, which obviously that's, again, why they go and draft a Connor Williams in the second round when it appears they have, are loaded on the offensive line, but they need to still be – the running game has to start everything for them. And this team is really – I see it being built kind of like that Seahawks team in 2013 that won the Super Bowl where it was – you had to – as great as Russell Wilson's been in clutch moments and, and, and made big-time plays – that that team was was set up on playing great defense and Marshawn Lynch in that running game. And then when that started to kind of fade a little bit and they started losing some of their offensive linemen, then it became more about Russell Wilson. But when they won that Super Bowl in 2013, it was run first with the solid defense, and then every the passing game was was the third most important thing. And that's the way it's got to be for this Cowboys team. I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm still catching up here on the Kevin's um, revelation that quarterback should throw to the open guy <laughs> um. I, I reason that i say that is because and it was clear to me right away was that when uh, which De- by the way i think is a is is a great asset if a quarterback doesn't feel obligated to throw to any particular receiver but he's he's clearly to to do that and to do this well you've got to have great field vision and you've got to have Great ability to to recognize quickly where, where your open where your open target is. Well, that was what he, you know that what what told me that about Dak was when he developed this chemistry with Cole Beasley right away. You know he was throwing the that was his favorite receiver. Well, I, but w- w- because Cole was the, is the one guy on that team who could get open. But is it chemistry or is it just the fact that here's a guy he threw to the guy who was open? Well, to me that's what so chemistry. people make it into chemistry. Well, chemistry means that I, I got confidence in you. I know you're going to do this. I know what you're going to do. I know how you're going to do it. And and I, and so uh, that's what Romo had with Witten, and certainly Romo had with Dez. You know, and, and he listen no. I think that Dez was very fortunate that Tony Romo was his quarterback those years. I'm not saying that that Dez isn't wasn't great in those years. I'm saying that I think uh, Dak was like a lot of other quarterbacks. He's not really that open. Who who am I throwing to here? Am, am I really going to give him this ball and let him fight for it? Uh, well, Tony was the kind of guy who would do that. Uh, right, and at that point in time, I think Dez was just a better athlete. You know, he was stronger and and better at going up and and winning the fifty fifty balls. And I don't think that. Uh, as you've said on on many occasions, you know this is not a great route runner or a receiver, and and when he didn't, uh, when he wasn't going to prove that he could out jump or or out muscle a guy for a bit for a football, um, he just was not as uh, attractive as an, of, of an option. No, but I do think, it, and I think that John's point is is as well taken, and especially talking about Seattle, because what if uh, what if they had run the ball with Marshawn Lynch? Down there at the goal line, and instead of throwing that slant, oh, here we go. They they got picked off. Second guessing, old Pete Carroll. And old Pete Carroll. I mean, you know that uh, that they went away from their identity there, uh, and and I, and I think it doesn't mean that you know you just run the ball 
uh, three downs and then you, you know, that's it. Uh, but I, I, I do, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with the Connor. I know there were people who complained about that pick that they shouldn't have taken Connor Wade. Why, why would you take another guard? I'm with you. If you watch that Atlanta game and watch that team fall apart, that wasn't because of the defense, you know, right. uh, that, that, that fell apart because the offensive line did. So let me ask you the, uh, just to wrap this up, John, cause I know you've, uh, you've been on with us for too long and had to put up with all this. Oh my God. Is that so? Uh, in your fifty-three uh, mock-up there, and you said you were going with fewer offensive linemen. So, who is the swing tackle? Is it Chaz Green? I actually, if they stay with eight, I don't even have Chaz Green in the mix. Wow! Um, I think that the uh, if they, I mean, there's a good chance they'll keep nine, and, and he'll end up being on the, on the squad. But if they only keep eight, I don't think he's one of their top eight offensive linemen right now. It would be. Cameron Fleming, who they signed, who was doing the same job in New England, yeah. I think that's your first guy up, um, and he'll be the swing tackle. And if Lyle Collins or Tyron Smith uh, get hurt, you can go to him. And then uh, if that's not working out, then you can try Connor Williams there. And you have some other options they signed. This uh, is Martin. Let him finish here. Oh, I'm sorry, Evan. No, I'm just saying they signed Marcus Martin as uh, a guy who can play some guard as well. So, um, and then you have Joe Looney that can back up at center. So. If everybody's healthy, which rarely happens, obviously, on offensive line. So I think that they could get away with just going with eight. Yeah. I think we've got a headline now for the transcription of the podcast. What's that? Why Chaz Green won't be on the roster. Chaz Green not on the <laughs> roster. Uh, well, you know, that was a controversial pick at the time when he was taken in the third round. Um, and and he was he's pretty much been hurt the whole time he's been here. And when he hasn't been hurt, he hasn't been very good. It's not a good combination, but no. uh, according no. to my research. No. No, it is not a good combination. John Machota, it's great to have you on, pal. We love to have you talking about this stuff and getting to explain your your avatar and uh, and everything about your Florida State uh, dependency, uh, codependency. So uh, we appreciate it, and we'd love to have you on again real soon, man. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Okay. All right, John, take care. John hates us now. You know, he, he loved us before. Uh, loved me before, but well, then you, it, it, you got on there, and then you just really it's easy to hate me, ticked him off. It, it's let's face facts. Yeah, well, how about that I, part I, where he said uh, I, when I said I apologize for you, and he goes, "Yeah, that's fine," uh, and he just tried to move past it. Yeah, man, that was, yeah, I made that it was awkward. awkward and uncomfortable. I made it awkward, but I'm I'm telling you the the synapses in my brain that just aren't connecting anymore. It's it's, it's a little bit. It's a little bit concerning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he he mentioned something. And uh, before we get off this Cowboys podcast, I'm just going to go off on this for, for 90 seconds, if you don't mind. Wow. Go right ahead. Um, he mentioned the war room. And we have every year with the draft room, we have the mentions of the war room. And I said something on Twitter last night after seeing a Jeff Bannister soundbite in which he mentioned the words collateral damage. And I I, I heard it. I've heard it live in the clubhouse when you're picking out quotes and it kind of just blends into everything. And then I heard it in a soundbite last night and just didn't like it. I just feel like we've got to get away. This is sports, man. we got to get away from the war references. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I have done the same thing too. Uh, I, I try to – but I think War Room has, for me, someone who's old as I am and someone who loves this movie as much, is more of a reference to uh, Dr. Strangelove. Uh, in which uh, there, there'll be no fighting in the war room, you know. Uh, that that's that's my reference for the war room. So I yeah I don't I don't think that you really have a lot of uh, military people talking about the war room. I think that was just Peter Sellers. I uh, I don't know that that's 
accurate. Um, <laughs> well, go right ahead. Just say you don't know, but you're going to say that I'm wrong. I, well, I, I'm not saying I'm just disagreeing with you. And I just I, I feel like in that in those cases, I'm going to make more of an effort to use fewer military terms. Yeah. Fewer mu- military hyperbole and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, just I because no I, 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 I think we can report really well. Um, and colorfully, without having to go down that route. Yeah, and it is a draft room. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're they're sitting around and they're they're talking about their draft. Um, and that's what they're actually doing. And I don't think uh, whether we call it a war room or a draft room, I don't think we're going to lose anything if we lose the war room. No, I, re- I really like the war room thing. Uh, I, I know. I'm, you I'm do. thinking of Doctor Strangelove. I'm thinking about George C. Scott. I've been thinking about uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's really good stuff. All right, so it, that it, it plays right into that because of the of the uh, the silliness of it, fr- frankly. Well, that that's true too. Um, but uh, I, my picture of the war room is all the generals st- sitting around moving their troops with right. little. Uh, well, let, let, let's not even start into the fact that that's what most managers and, and coaches think they are. They think they're generals. Yeah, it it it, it is uh, something that I I just wish that guys would would kind of steer away from. What they're doing is they're they're taking their guys out and playing games, and they're not right. they're not putting guys in life and death situations. So, Correct. all right, I'm sorry that I got on that soapbox, but let's go on to the Rangers podcast. Let's let's get off of of Cowboys and get on to the hot team uh, in town. <laughs> what are they? Is that a one game winning streak? They, they've won a game. They've won a game. Yeah. All right. As of as of Tuesday morning, they've won one game in a row. All right, everybody, we're signing off from this one. But if you stay tuned or whatever you do with the podcast thing, if you tune into the next one, it'll be your Rangers podcast. So long, everybody.